0: I had an awesome week this past week. I was able to speak at a Christian summer camp, Second Daga Bible Conference in Alban, New York. And so, starting last Sunday, I did my eight-day preaching marathon. Every day I got to preach uh, from last Sunday till today. Because yesterday I had, to, I had to do a memorial service, or got to do a memorial service. So, the time in, 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 in the kids' camp was really, really fruitful. The camp, Second Daga Bible Conference, is a very godly place that tries to remove barriers from people not attending camp. And so, their day camp program costs about half of what other camps cost. They take the kids from 7.30 until 4.45, almost nine hours. They feed them breakfast and lunch and a snack. I mean, it's an awesome ministry because, when you think about it, what other, Christian, what other camp in the summer do you know that serves breakfast? You know, usually you have to feed your kids and get them out the door, but this camp provides breakfast. As a result, there were 160 young people at this camp on the first week, and it's one of their light weeks. So uh, the first day that I spoke to them, I, I was, I was sharing, sharing about Jesus, sharing some parables of Christ as well. I did the parable of the soils with them. On that first day, the questions that kids were asking their, their, their counselors were really quite telling. They were saying to their counselor, so what is a Bible? I've never been to church before. What is this talking about? I heard about these questions, and I realized, you know, most of these kids were unchurched, or a lot of them were unchurched, had, didn't, weren't aware of the Bible or the stories in didn't, didn't know about Jesus. What an awesome opportunity that was to share with fear and trepidation, you know, the first things they're going to hear about God. And uh, the great pleasure and joy of my life was being able to share about Jesus, who, who uh, reaches out to everybody regardless of their background, right, and, um, and is seeking to seek and save the lost as his mission statement and who, um, who loves everything that he's created. So it was an amazing week to, to introduce kids to, to Jesus, about teachings about the Bible, um, letting them know that Jesus came for them, to seek and save the lost for people like them, and just seeing uh, them light up, learning about these things, and, and hearing about them, praying with their counselors, to re- just to begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Just very awesome thing. So I really appreciated that time. And I really just um, loved—I love it that the effort that God made to seek and save the lost was to come himself in a person in Christ, because Jesus is God in the flesh, to come himself as the Son, to give his own life, to fulfill his own law, so that we could have a relationship with God through Christ. That's amazing. Like, the grace that's in Jesus Christ is amazing, what he came to do. And letting the kids know just to what an extent— God came for them was, was such a blessing So I got to got to be with Jesus all week at camp and, and really seeing what God was doing uh, I got to got to share the Bible with, with some young people and that reminds me today we have for the summer our, our teachers are taking a Sabbath and so our kids are going to be in the service with us this summer and uh, this morning I'm going to be reading a account from Luke 14 and I want to ask the kids if you're a kid raise your hand in the back row there are you coloring yes you, you children yeah. Yep. Mr. Veach is a kid, too. Isaac, you know. Every, everyone who, who's a young person, I want, to, I want you to listen to this story carefully. It's a story about, uh, that Jesus told about a great banquet. And in this story, the head of the banquet invites some guests to come to his banquet, and they give him excuses as to why they can't come. So I want to ask the kids to listen to this story, then we'll talk about uh, the, what excuses were made. There's three different excuses in the story. Luke 14:15. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready. The banquet is prepared. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first person said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. So I can't come. No further reasons given, just <laughs> they got married, they can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. And ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room at your banquet. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were first invited will get a taste of my banquet. So kids, what what three excuses did you hear that— they couldn't come to the banquet. Just bought a field. Just got married. He just bought five yoke of oxen. Gotta drive those oxen around, right? What's he used to buy an oxen if you're not gonna drive them around? Those are the three excuses that were made. Now, when those people didn't come to the banquet, what does it say the master of the banquet felt? Sad, mad, right? He was angry. He was upset. And so, when those people gave their excuses as to why they could not come, he said, well, just invite everyone out there. Go into the, uh, the streets and the alleys. Bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the people that are disabled. And they brought all those people into the banquet, but it still wasn't full enough. And so the master said to his servant, go to the, to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so my house will be full. And then he, he ended with this verse. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. He's talking about the people that were originally invited to the banquet that turned him down. Um, those people are not going to get taste of the banquet. So this is the, our story from Luke 14, a parable of the great banquet. To understand this parable, we, we really need to look at, to this story, we really need to look at what comes before it and what comes kind of right after it. So we're going to read together from Luke 14, 1. And we're going to read to verse 23. Just listen very carefully. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. He was in the house of Pharisee, he became carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they all remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Again, they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes up, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet. And here's the story we read earlier. He invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So our story today begins with Jesus at the house of a, says a prominent pharisee. And it says he was being watched closely by the, by the people in that crowd. The pharisees and the religious folks in that crowd watched very closely. The pharisees were, as, many, as most people know who've been in church for any length of time, they were a sect of the Jews, God's people, who longed for God's kingdom to come. They knew about God's kingdom coming from prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah. And they longed for God's kingdom to be fulfilled. So this whole banquet thing that's their thing. they were they were looking forward to the banquet that God would throw that had been prophesied about. These were very, very uh, religious people. they were practitioners um, they were they were professional, if you will, religious folks. And they believe they but they believed that God would not come to bring his kingdom and have his banquet um, until the people demonstrated that they understood the rules of the Old Testament and, and followed them perfectly. Then they reasoned, when, when we get all of the Jewish people to behave as they should and, and be holy before God and separate from others, then the Messiah will come and the banquet will be thrown. The Pharisees were so um, intent upon people not breaking the rules like the Sabbath, that they, they, they acknowledged, yes, keep the Sabbath holy, but they also created other rules, sub-rules, if you will, to keep people from breaking the Sabbath. So there was lots of layers of separation between people and sin. Again, the Pharisees' reason was, we need to all be holy together as God's people, because that's what will bring in God's kingdom. So, Jesus is invited to the prominent Pharisee's house, and they're watching him closely. They're watching him closely because Jesus is not making them happy. Jesus is um, reaching out to scorned people, to non-Jewish people, to people with disabilities that were looked down by others in society. Um, Jesus was reaching out to people like tax collectors who were considered to be traitors to their own people, the Jews, and and took more taxes than they legally were allowed to. Jesus was reaching out to people like the Samaritan woman who was, you know, scorned for racial reasons because she was only half-Jewish, and so the Jews did not... Uh, did not associate with Samaritans. They had big um, arguments that had gone back centuries. But Jesus is reaching out to a Samaritan woman. I think the Pharisees, seeing Jesus' ministry and the trajectory of his ministry and who his followers were, they felt that their chance of being holy enough for God to come and visit was being ruined by Jesus. Because Jesus is inviting these unclean, riffraff, non-Jewish people, and this was a racial component, you know the, the the jewish people um, jesus was inviting them um, to the kingdom of god if you will to the to the feast saying these are the people now this is all really ironic because jesus is already bringing god's kingdom the, the 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 people without sight are being receiving their sight the lame walk those uh recovery of sight for the blind all these things were, were signs that jesus was performing which the Old Testament taught were proof that the kingdom of God was upon the people. The ironic part is that the Pharisees had the idea that inviting all these types of people would make it so that God's banquet is not going to be coming anytime soon. So they're at odds with one another. Um, Jesus' kingdom is being brought by by Jesus. And Jesus was inviting people all around him, whether, whatever race, whatever um religious or not religious um, he was inviting them to die to self and receive the invitation to come near so Jesus is, is uh, invited to this prominent Pharisee's house on the Sabbath and uh, they're, they're trying to lay a trap for him like they always did let's, let's make Jesus break the Sabbath and then let's uh, say he's a, he's a sinner and then discredit him and ruin this horrible thing that he's doing in inviting all these people in So Jesus is invited to this, this Pharisee's house all eyes are on him and uh, a man with, with fluid built up like edema in his body was brought to Jesus for healing we don't know if this was, he was brought by his friends or whether the Pharisees in the house created the circumstance to try to trap Jesus into doing some work on the Sabbath it's kind of suspicious but at any rate they are watching Jesus closely The Pharisees reasoned that if a, that if a person um, was healed by Jesus on the Sabbath, that would break the Sabbath rule and do, they shouldn't work on the Sabbath and prove that Jesus was this lawbreaker. So they're trying to trap him. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he asks them the question. Now I want you to notice that Jesus is the only one that actually speaks in this passage. There's no rebuttal. There's no reply. But he knows their thoughts and he asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And here's the awkward thing. No one answered. How long did Jesus sit there staring at people? It's like when the pastor does long, unnecessary pauses in his sermon. You know? He just sat there looking at them. He's the one that asked the question. These are the people that are trying to trap him. He asked them a question that's about their expertise, religion. Religion. He says to them, is it lawful to hear on the hill on the Sabbath? And there was no reply. All remained silent. And the text does not say how long the silence lasted, but I imagine Jesus just looking around at each of these faces of these prominent Pharisees, searching for them, just answer me, respond, anything. Having heard no response, Jesus heals the man physically of his swelling issue and sends him home. After the healing, all is still silent. And so Jesus decides to ask another question, a little more pointed question, now that he's done this miracle. And you understand that, you know, healings like this were prophesied that there would be that would be when the kingdom of God came. So this is all just proof that Jesus is bringing the kingdom. Jesus asks him another question. Which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull them out? Which of you honestly would let your child or your animal die or be left trapped in a well and injured on the Sabbath? And once again, there's no reply. There's another awkward silence. You see, the rabbis of Jesus' day and the Pharisees in this house would have heard as I said, many teachings about the law of the Old Testament and there were, it was actually considered to be noble and good to do good on the sabbath such as pulling an animal out of a well or pulling a child from their from the well from their death you know it was already accepted within judaism that this was an okay thing to do on the sabbath and so when jesus says which of you would would not pull the the ox or the child out of the well on the sabbath there's an awkward silence cuz everyone is like oh yeah he's got a point but once again they have nothing to say jesus reasons with them if it is lawful to break a sweat pulling an animal from a pit then how much more is it lawful to break a sweat pulling a person made in God's image from a life-threatening situation like sickness on the Sabbath? Bringing healing to a person from any sickness um, is is not only permissible on the Sabbath, but honors the Sabbath in the way that God intends, that good should be done on the Sabbath in God's name. But Jesus was still being watched carefully. One thing you have to understand about this passage is that if there was a good reply to give to Jesus that would have won the argument, they would have given it. they had to be silent because none of their arguments made any sense. They weren't able to trap him. They all remained silent. They could not argue with Jesus with what he was saying and doing, and this, this bothered them quite a bit. Here's a really interesting thing about Jesus, and I think this is just a word from God for us from this passage. The Pharisees and the prominent Pharisees that invited Jesus over were focusing completely on him, trying to set a trap so they could discredit him. But Jesus was completely focused on something else, as we'll see in the story. While everyone looks at Jesus closely to see what Jesus will do, what is Jesus looking at? The text tells us in verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. So everyone's trying to trap Jesus, but he's noticing how there's a pecking order, a social pecking order and that people are trying to place themselves in honorable places in the building, socially arranging themselves to bring honor to themselves. Jesus notices this. Jesus tells this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is being noticed for every single thing he's doing. They're trying to trap him. But what Jesus notices is that people are trying to honor themselves in a crowd. And this is like going to a Star Trek convention where everyone's really into Star Trek, and who's the best Star Trek fan? You know, this is all the religious people of the day coming together. Who's the best Pharisee? Who's the best teacher of the law? Who's the person that's going to bring God's, help bring about God's kingdom? But Jesus notices a problem. This is a proud, self-centered group of people. They also happen to be religious, which is why this story is such a Uh, important one for us to read because we are Christians with Bibles and histories and it's very easy uh, for for groups of any kind even like like a church to become a place where where it becomes about social hierarchy, about the spiritual people versus the non-spiritual people all these kinds of ridiculous lines that people draw but Jesus says in the midst of this proud display of people um, trying to get the attention on them that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4, 6, we talked about this a few weeks ago. God opposes, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, when Jesus looks at you in any situation, whether you're walking to church, into your job, in your home, in your household, your friend group, Jesus is looking at you to see what you will do. You know? In this, in this story, the people are looking at Jesus to see what he would do. How is he going to screw up? How can we discredit him? Jesus was looking at them. What will you do? How will you position yourself socially to bring honor to Jesus, to God, and not honor to yourself? And Jesus' advice is, when you're brought into a social situation, take the lowest part, and then maybe the host will promote you. At the very least, he'll leave you alone, and you can stay in the lowest part. That's where you apparently belong. You know? Um, Humble yourself. You know, we... These people are all looking at Jesus. Jesus Jesus is looking right back at them. He's saying, if you people that are jockeying for position, to be looked at a certain way, if you don't humble yourself, you're going to be humbled. Because he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. God actually opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So the principle is, is pretty clear. Either humble yourself, be humble, or let the master humble you of the banquet. The Pharisees talk about honoring God, you have to understand, all the time. That's what the whole Sabbath-breaking thing was about. You need to honor God by not breaking the Sabbath. That's their big talk. But they do not actually care about God's honor. They care about their honor and their social setting. And this is why religious Pharisaical people did not like Jesus. He was, he was leading in a kingdom that had the wrong people in it, from the wrong place in society that aren't religious enough that don't know where the Bible is these are the people Jesus was going after the Pharisees talk about honoring God they do not actually care about God's honor they show that by how they position themselves socially it's about at this moment of silence once again where everyone is troubled deeply troubled and not knowing what to say once again, Jesus starts talking. He's the only one that talks in this passage. He tells another story of a banquet. Then all of a sudden, uh, I'm sorry, before, before, uh, before Jesus talks about the parable of the banquet, you know, I, I imagine it, got, it was still very quiet. And one of the people at the banquet, who just probably felt kind of awkward, said, Blessed are those who will sit at the kingdom of God in his kingdom everyone's like, oh yeah, that's good, you know, that kind of helps with the awkwardness of the situation. But Jesus takes this as an opportunity to talk about the banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replies, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go to see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. Now I'm on my way to see them, to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Jesus tells about this, this banquet feast, which sounds so much like the Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom of God. Clearly talking about God's kingdom. He says, a certain man who represents God in the story prepares for this great, huge banquet. He invites many guests, it says. He gives everyone a save-the-date to this banquet. Then when the banquet banquet is fully prepared, he sends out his servants to let everyone know, the banquet you were invited to is now ready. It's time to come and enjoy the banquet. But all those who were initially invited to the banquet who had the save the date card who when they heard the bank was ready for the master servant they all began to make excuses and poor excuses really about why they couldn't make it let's just listen to how kind of like these, these excuses really are sort of lame the first person says they can't come because they bought a field and for some reason they need to go and see it that's not a very good excuse I need to go and see my field that I bought they are polite but they Say no to the banquet. Another person says he just bought five yoke of oxen and for some reason, he needs to try them out. Right now. (laughs) Today. I need to try my oxen out today. And they politely say, I'm very sorry, but I can't make it to your banquet. They politely refuse. The final person has the most plausible sounding and even more understandable excuse yet. They say, they've just gotten married and they need to be married i guess i guess he can't make it either i, uh, I guess his wife wasn't invited to the banquet I don't, I don't know but he says i just got married i can't come to your banquet all of these excuses would have sounded as lame to jesus original hearers of the story as it kind of do to us this morning these are not reasons to not come to a banquet that you were invited to a long time ago that should have been in your calendar right you have the time to get your affairs in order but you chose to politely excuse yourself with polite sounding excuses. Jesus is teaching that these people with poor excuses are like the Pharisees or the religious people in the house where Jesus was teaching. These were people that received the invitation to God's banquet in the Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah and Jeremiah. These prophets that foretold about Jesus and God's kingdom coming. And these Pharisees were closely um, watching carefully and supposedly desiring to give themselves fully to the kingdom of God when the proper time arrived. Here, a sick person had just been healed. This is evidence that God's kingdom is upon the world, but the Pharisees are all bent out of shape because the healing happened on the wrong day, on the Sabbath. These Pharisees thought that they were Living for God and for His honor and for His kingdom, but they were actually living to be raised up in the social pecking order. They were so obsessed with their social standing and about controlling everything that was happening surrounding Jesus and trying to stop Jesus that they missed the actual banquet, which was there upon them. Jesus Christ was among them. His kingdom had come. You know, he had he was healing the sick and the lame, giving sight to the blind. He was setting the captives free. And these people were so blinded by their desire to be honored among people that they, they, whatever it took to stop Jesus from doing this kind of work, they wanted to do it. Ironically, the healing would have been a sign of the kingdom, but even the healing is discredited as being on the wrong day. They missed, they missed Jesus' coming kingdom so severely that they were attributing Jesus' healings and exorcisms to Satan and saying, it's actually by the power of Satan that you're doing these things. This is how severely they missed the mark. You know, the Pharisees, they, they said, we are sons of Abraham. We are the Jewish people. We are the teachers of God's law. We, ha- we have a certain status. The Pharisees had been watching Jesus very closely, but it's clear from these parables that Jesus had been watching them more closely. And seeing that these people were more about honoring themselves than honoring God, despite what they said. It's dangerous to say all the right things and miss the boat. But this is what can happen to people that are religious. Jesus finishes his parable. He says, The servant came back and reported this to his master, all the excuses. Then the owner of the house became angry. And ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the unclean. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. There's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so my house will be full. The streets and alleys of the town and then the roads and country lanes. Everywhere. They went everywhere and compelled people to come because the master wanted his house to be full. And then the master says, I tell you, not one of these who are invited will get a taste of my my banquet. Yeah, the people that should have been all ready to receive God's kingdom were those who had the law and the prophets and understood the scriptures and were waiting for the consolation of Israel as we see in the Bible. But these religious-minded Pharisees were refusing to enter God's kingdom and also trying to block other people from entering God's kingdom because... They were upset that non-Jewish people and people that were unclean were being invited in by Jesus. And for this reason, in Jesus' parable, we see that the master of the banquet, God, rescinds his invitation to those who should have been the readiest to enjoy it. He says, these people are not going to get a taste of my banquet. He commands the servant to go into the hidden places, the streets and the alleys of the town, the country roads, to find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And there's still not enough people for the master to be satisfied. So he says, "Go out into the, the further places in the country, Call, compel them to come, so my house will be full." Now I think what Jesus is trying to get across with this story is that the master of the banquet, Father God, is far more generous than anyone thinks he is. And his greatest concern is that his party be filled with people. His banquet be filled with as many people as possible. It's the same heart that God has in First John 1 Peter three, where it says, God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants a house full of people. He wants a party. And Jesus and God, being being one, are agreed on this point. The banquet Jesus invites all these unclean, broken, and lost people to is not a banquet where people are trying to climb a social ladder, like at the Pharisee's home, and not a banquet where where some people are honored above others. The banquet God invites people to, is a banquet to glorify God and show how amazing God's mercy and grace is. That's the whole point of the banquet. It's not about how holy you are, it's about how much God's grace and mercy has changed your life. And really, the more messed up the repentant guests are, the more the greatness of God is magnified and put on display for the world to see. You know, God invites everybody. Yeah, the Jewish people got the first invitation, the invitation's still open to them, but God went When those people turned around and said, we don't want to be part of this, the Pharisees and the leaders of the people, God invited everybody. This was God's will from the beginning, that the Jews would be a light for the Gentiles, that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, would come to faith in him. Again, there's so many ways in which the religious leaders were missing the mark and missing what Jesus was doing. The banquet God invites us to is about God's glory. And the the more messed up, people are they're invited that repent of their sins it shows god's grace and mercy and love is magnified so jesus said in matthew 21 in a parallel passage to the pharisees truly i tell you and they, they hated this one i guarantee you the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of god ahead of you people that you think are sinners compared to you who are holy those people are getting into the kingdom before you it's also why the master remarks of the first people who made those excuses, "I tell you, not one of them who were invited initially will get a taste of my banquet." It's important for us to understand that you know, as much as we like to see ourselves in more flattering places in the Scripture, that you know, the Pharisee thing and the religious thing is something that God is always confronting us with in the in the New Testament about the dangers of spiritual pride, dangers of glorifying self and making self everything, and Jesus and uh, and forgetting about the will of God and even, the, and even missing on the kingdom that's come. You now, People like us in church on Sunday morning are in danger of making it about us and about our spiritual achievements. We're, we're in danger, just like the Pharisees, of sitting in a room full of others and trying to position ourselves to be heard and seen as being important or being good Christians or better Christians than others. You know, the temptation toward religious pride And the blindness that goes with that pride is so great, so intense. You know, sometimes it's subtle. You know, we've been in church for a while. Maybe we grew up in the church. Maybe we have. You know, I have Christian grandparents, so you know, I think to myself, my parent, my grandparents were the first ones to come to Christ in my family tree. That's that's an exceptionally amazing thing. You know, my parents, my grandparents, and then we're third generation here. Um, been in the church for a while. And then all of a sudden, people come into the church that have a different background, different families, different experiences, and those people hear the good news of God's mercy and grace. that can convert to faith in Christ, repenting of sins, maybe even leading in ministry in the church. And when we see this happening around us, when we are in this real Pharisee place, we are tempted to scorn these people, to ask, you know, why, why them, why them, God, why not me? You know? The Pharisees didn't like it when in the midst of a gathering of important religious people, a person with edema was brought in and then healed on the Sabbath. They didn't like it that they couldn't say anything about it without looking stupid. They didn't like how their social positioning didn't impress Jesus at all like it did everyone else. They didn't like Jesus saying the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Um... The Pharisees had had it with Jesus inviting all these unclean and sinful people to God's banquet. How's the kingdom of God going to come with all these sinners being dragged in, non-Jewish sinners? The religious leaders did not like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who heard about Jesus, just heard about him, felt extremely broken inside, and just needed to see Jesus, climbed the tree to see him. And the Pharisees hated how Jesus stopped in a thick crowd, looked up into that tree where Zacchaeus was, and invited him over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Which is a sign of friendship. They didn't like how Jesus knew Zacchaeus by name. that Jesus knew his name in that crowd. They didn't even like it when Zacchaeus repented of his sins and pledged half of his possessions for the poor, and then paying back everyone that he had cheated through his uh, practices of tax collection, paying them back over and above what he stole from them. All of that was evidence of God's kingdom coming in Zacchaeus's life. The Pharisees even knew these things from their scriptures. But because they had made it all about them and their holiness and their status, they missed out on these amazing stories of redemption, like the story of Zacchaeus. You know, the Pharisees hated it when, when they dragged a woman, a, a Samaritan woman, you know, a not fully Jewish woman, Before Jesus, who had been caught in adultery in John 4, they didn't like how Jesus did not condemn this woman. They wanted him to condemn her. They didn't like that Jesus didn't hold to their biblical belief that such a woman should be stoned to death, according to the law of Moses. They hated it when Jesus said, let the person without sin cast the first stone. They hated how he had nothing to say to this. How they had nothing to say to this. How they didn't have a light to stand on. They didn't even like it when the sinful woman repented of her sin. And Jesus told her to go and leave her life of sin behind. These were not things that excited them. Because they had made the kingdom about themselves and their status, and so had missed the kingdom breaking out in the lives of people around them. It says, be careful of the yeast of the which is hypocrisy. So, saying all the right things but not doing anything. Receiving grace, but then not giving grace. Saying, but not doing. We are in danger of the, of the yeast of the Pharisees when we think in these ways and treat God's good and redeeming work with contempt, when we refuse to accept the invitation God's given us to his banquet because there are people that we despise that are going to be there, who we consider to be unworthy. We have to be on guard of the yeast of hypocrisy today's parable is a warning to people like us, Christian people, religious people. And when when people become too stiff, religious, and pharisaical, Jesus says in Matthew 21, 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who who will produce its fruit. God God is so so concerned with just his glory. He just wants fruit to be produced in people's lives. You know, the, the worse the sinner that's called to repentance, the more the more thoroughly they're going to turn from their sin, the more thoroughly they're going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, watch out. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. It's all about God's glory. And when we, when we become about our own glory and our social standing more than about God's glory and saving sinners and showing his mercy and grace, his glory, then we show ourselves to be those who are initially invited have rejected the invitation so jesus concludes this teaching in matthew 22 in the parallel saying for many are invited but few are chosen in terms of this banquet you know all all that one has to do to attend god's banquet is to accept the invitation and stop making lame excuses and saying i'll get to that later if we refuse to attend the banquet and scorn those who attend as being unworthy compared to us then we will be a people whose invitation is rescinded and given to others who will accept it with great joy and produce fruit for God. That's just how it works. The kingdom of God is really all about God's glory, not about the signs and wonders, but those signs and wonders glorifying God. Not about all oh, the sin that I've committed that's come between me and God, but God's glory in, t- in joyfully taking my sin from me and cleansing me so I can follow him with a, good, with a clear conscience. The kingdom of God is all about God's glory and, if you will, glorying in God's glory, worshiping at the glory of God, celebrating his mercy, his grace in our lives, celebrating his mercy and grace in the lives of people who have never thought would come to God, but did. And celebrating. And when we make it about ourselves, our ministries, our social standing, when we take offense at the sorts of people Jesus is saving around us, then we're in danger of losing our invitation and having it given to others who will produce its fruit. So as Hebrews 12:15 says, See it that no one falls short of the grace of God; and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, I just I, the the picture that I'm left with from this, this this scripture is just Jesus is in this in this banquet, and all eyes are on Jesus. We need to trap him. We're going to bring this person in front of him to heal. We're going to we're going to discredit him. Jesus is not thinking about any of that. He's he's looking at the banquet and seeing how people conduct themselves, individuals in that room. Will they take the place of honor? Will they take the place of service in the low place of the, at the banquet? You now, God is looking for people who rejoice in his glory, which is to save sinners. Who, like the Apostle Paul say, says, um, Christ Jesus came to, to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. <laughs> Knowing that um, that God's kingdom, if it came for me, it can come for other people as well. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, am, I, will pray, I will pray, Lord, and just say, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. I pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord, that we might not nurture our inner Pharisee each of us has, um, where we desire to condemn other people or push other people down so that we can feel better about ourselves, and compare ourselves to others, and make it all about us. But God, I pray that we would surrender that exhausting life where we are the center of the universe and that we would make you and your glory the center of our universe God that we'd be able to look at ourselves and say yeah my sins were bad but like look how this shows the glory of God he forgave me, he redeemed me and he can do it for you too I thank you that you are the master of the banquet who desires that your house be full God I pray that we would not fall short of your grace and that we would um, love you and love others and we would see your kingdom come and your will be done in our church, in our lives, as it is in heaven. I pray this all in Jesus' name.